with all of the uh, all of the confusion of not having power this morning and getting our stuff organized and then finally the power comes on and we come up here and we didn't have our slides and Evelyn said is there any announcements and the one announcement that I realized didn't get made or had an opportunity was did anyone have an opportunity to share their faith this week anyone at all okay good it's me I don't want to take it from somebody else if they if somebody else has already done it but I wanted to share it is so so cool what happened I had to go get my hair cut this week because I was looking scruffy and scraggly and my hairdresser actually grabbed my hair in the community center and said you need to come see me She's left already, so see, I can talk about her. Um, but I went to her, get my hair cut, and then as soon as I was done getting my hair cut, I went over, it was, it was a little bit after 1, 1.30, and I decided to go get um, uh, a sandwich over at the 24 Mile Java and Treats there at the, at the, at the shopping center, the strip mall. And um, if you've ever been in that store, they have one square table that'll seat about six or eight people, and then they have a small round table that will seat two people. And then they have these high bar style tables that fat old people don't want to ever sit on. Yeah. And so there were two options for me to sit at. This big square table or this little table. The problem with the little table was it has these little plastic folding chairs that someone who's over 300 pounds doesn't want to sit on. But the problem was there was a, a woman sitting at that square table. And she wasn't from our community. She was uh, one of the Asian tourists that was just here on her own, just driving around. And um, so I said, may I borrow this chair? Because I was going to take one of the sturdier chairs and move it over to the smaller table and have my meal. And she said, oh, you can just sit here. That's okay. I said, are you sure? She said, oh, yeah, that's fine. And so she spoke English. It wasn't 100% fluent, but she was able to communicate. We were able to talk back and forth. And so we visited for a little bit, and um, during our conversation, I said, she said, um, uh, she said, do you know of any places to stay in the area, because I don't want to go back to town, I want to stay out here to try to see the Northern Lights tonight, because they're supposed to be good tonight, and I said, well... I know of a place called Taste of Alaska Lodge. And she said, do you know where that's at? I said, well, I'm the pastor of the Church of the Nazarene. And if you'll go past the Church of the Nazarene, then another five or, or so miles, no, excuse me, another 10 miles, you'll see the Taste of Alaska sign. And she said, Church of the Nazarene? And I, so I pulled out my business card and I handed her my business card. And I said, I'm a pastor. And she didn't have a clue. She didn't know what a pastor was. And she said, Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene. Oh, this is the church of this Nazarene community? I said, well, no, no, no. Two Rivers is the community. So the Two Rivers community, and this is the church of the Nazarene. And she just looked at me. I said, have you ever heard the term Nazarene? No. I said, well, do you know, have you ever heard the term, the name Jesus? No. So, okay, this is, this is what we do. I am, a, I am a Christian, and I go to a church that is 
a believer in Jesus as our Savior, and he is, we believe that he is the Son of God, and Jesus, when he lived on this earth, was a, uh, a man who lived in a small village called Nazareth, so he was known as the Nazarene. So our church is called the Church of the Nazarene. She went, oh, <laughs> clueless. And the whole time I'm trying to say this to her, I keep hearing in the back of my head, you idiot. This woman has never, ever heard the name Jesus, let alone the gospel. And you're, you're totally blowing it. You're totally blowing it. You, you have an opportunity here to give her the gospel and you're telling her about a village in Nazareth. And, and at the same time, the other thought was, that's really bizarre. You're telling this woman that you believe that you have a God that's two, let alone three people? I thought it was a God. And literally, all of this is going on while I'm trying to talk to her. And I was thinking, wow, we really do believe stupid stuff. I mean, honestly, this is all the thoughts that were going on in my head. How bizarre. Someone who has never heard of the gospel before, never heard about Jesus and I'm struggling to tell her about it because I don't have a frame of reference. And it really, I mean, I was not unwilling. I was excited to have an opportunity to share. But I could not figure out how to start because there was nothing to, to latch on to. Her culture, my culture, none of it. And I was like, and, you know, and the interaction had to end, so I couldn't press the issue. We were just, she was asking about the business card, so I, I didn't push the issue. But she was, she felt that she, she said to me, I feel that you care about me. I feel that you are been kind to me, so thank you very much. And that was the best I could do in that moment. And I was, afterwards, I was like, that is the most frustrating thing in the world to me. Wanting to share my faith, but not having a clue how to, how to do it? Because she had no frame of reference. I couldn't go anywhere that would work. <sighs> Aggravation. And so I've been stewing on that now for a couple of days. And in in First Peter chapter three, I mean, excuse me, First Peter, yeah, chapter three, verse fifteen. Um, it says to always be ready. Well, let me just read it to you rather than trying to quote it from memory. First Peter. 315. Always. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, um, there's a couple things I want to say here, but before I start saying that, I need us to recognize I quite often pull this scripture out of context and use it. But the, the context in which it is, is being ready to give an answer when you're being persecuted for your faith. Being prepared to give an answer in gentleness and respect when you're being confronted about being a Christian. And to me, it, it puts on a totally different light 
when I talk, when I think about that. But I, that's, that's an aside for what I wanted to talk to us about this morning. But that is something that you need to think about and, and look at as you're looking at these verses later on. Is that how do you respond? How do you respond when somebody's in your face about your faith? When somebody's not receptive and actually antagonistic to you about your faith? How in the world can you believe that garbage? Come on. What, what, what reasonable, rational human being actually believes in that? Oh, let me give you a quote from the last week and a half. Anybody who hears Jesus talking to them is schizophrenic. That's our culture, folks. The reality is we are going to be facing these times very short, soon, if not already. But what I wanted to focus on was this. I was in, in my heart and in my head over the last number of days. I have been focusing just on 1 Peter 3.15. This always being ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Doing so with gentleness and respect. And something that was interesting was I got stuck on the word why. Because when it says always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. It was like, well, why do I have this hope? Why do I believe? Why do I truly want to share this with people? Why is this so important? Why? 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 And when I, when I reflected on it, when I chewed on it, I kept coming back to the fact that I could not figure out why I believed. I just believe. I can't point to a definitive moment in time when, ta-da! It, 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 it's the very first time I've ever heard the name Jesus and you explain it to me and it makes perfect sense. I was reared to believe. I was baptized as an infant with people standing around the priest, all of them promising to rear me in the Christian faith. From the time I was old enough to crawl and even earlier, I was carried into the church to hear the priest proclaim the gospel. I was carried to the instructions for what we call Sunday school, what in that faith tradition was called CCD, the catechism, being taught the catechism of the faith. So from my earliest days, I was brainwashed, if you will, indoctrinated in the cardinal tenets of the faith. You saw me do it this morning with our young ones. They don't have a clue what I just told them as far as the deep spiritual meanings of what it is to have good news and your sins forgiven. But we're saying these words to them, helping them to have seeds planted into their hearts and into their minds so that when the Holy Spirit is able to quicken it and bring it to life and bring it to fruit, then it will have already had a good, a good root system, if you will. So it is important for us as faith people of faith to rear our young ones in the faith so that there will never be a time that they can go, I don't know anything, I never heard the name Jesus. They, they need to, from the, very, from the very earliest days of their time on this earth, need to be hearing the name Jesus and what we believe, whether they understand it or not. 
so that they can be, quote-unquote, indoctrinated into the faith, so they can be brainwashed into the faith, so they can be convinced into the faith. I mean, use whatever term you want, because none of us can do the convincing. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to rear them. Our job is to train them up in the way that they should go, so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. That's what we're supposed to do. If you look at the ancient Hebrew tradition, they were to walk along the walkway and talk about their faith. They were supposed to um, lay down at night and talk about their faith. They were supposed to talk about their faith as they shared their meals together. It was just supposed to be part of their normal everyday life. Now, what happens when someone has never had that? When they have been brought up in some other faith tradition... I have a a sense of what that faith tradition was for the woman that I interacted with this week because of the way she was responding to me. But I I would not venture to say what it was because I I don't know for sure. But it was not Christian by any stretch. And she had no frame of reference. And we had no way to bridge that gap between us. There was the language barrier, there was the location, there was the time. So in the small moment that I had with her, I shared with her the best that I knew how, and the enemy tried to beat me up because I planted a seed. And I had to get over that. Okay, I planted a seed, and I pray that God will continue to water and bring sunlight and whatever else is necessary for that seed to germinate. And if this seed doesn't take, well, then some other Christian can plant another seed. Or maybe somebody can till around the seed that's trying to germinate. Who knows? All we have to do is just continue to be faithful, to spread the seed, to say the words, to to be open for the opportunities. That's all we have to do. It's God, the Holy Spirit's job to do the convincing. But as I was thinking on this and chewing on this, being ready to give an answer for the hope, it's not the why. In the sense of, why do you believe Let me, let me go back to this. Verse 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. See, that's not actually saying why do you believe or why do you have hope. I jumped that way with, with, and it was wrong. It, that's not what this is saying. But I spent a long time Mulling over, why do I believe? Why do I believe? Why do I believe? But if you actually go back and read it again, it says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope. He didn't ask you why you believe. He said, how can you have such hope? How can you have such faith? How can you, in the face of adversity, be so confident? Ha! I have an easy answer for that. Because I have a relationship that's vital and real with Jesus. I hear him talk to me. Yeah, you can call me schizophrenic if you want. But I talk to him and he talks to me. And I have spent over 40 years of my life in vital, real relationship with God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, right here walking with me. And that's the very reason why I have hope. Now, the issue then comes is are they going to believe you? And that's where I go back to what I read earlier this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 is what I read. 
But I want to read to you verse 4 of that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, talking about those who are perishing spiritually. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Let's read that one more time. In their case, these are the people who are perishing. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why do you have hope? I have hope because I have a vital relationship with Jesus, the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. For it is by grace that I have been saved, through faith. And that's not from myself. It is the gift of God so that I cannot boast. And I could go on and on and on. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let your light so shine before the other human beings on this earth so that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Over and over and over again, these are the reasons that I have hope. And over and over again, I say these words to unbelievers. And over and over again, they go... What? I, what? That just is ridiculous. Are you schizophrenic? Are you just an idiot? Are you just dumb? How can you possibly believe that fairy tale, that myth? I mean, this has been proven time and time again to be false. Over and over and over, they cannot get it. Why? Because the God of this world who is that? That is the enemy of our souls. I won't even give him a name. Has blinded the mind. Which keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel. But see, my job is to not remove scales from eyes. My job is to not tear veils off of faces. My job is to proclaim truth. My job is to give a reason for the hope that is within me, doing so with gentleness and respect in the hope that at some point the Holy Spirit of God will enlighten them. That there will become at some point an aha moment, an epiphany where all of a sudden it makes sense. Now, the frustration on my part is how many times do I have to continue to do this before you get it? And the reality is, it's not mine to know. It's just mine to be faithful. In some cases, I will only have one moment like this woman who had never heard of Jesus before. She will not remember me 20 years from now. But hopefully she will have learned who Jesus was between now and 20 years from now. But the reality is there are some people that are in my life every day or at least every week. 
And I need to get more comfortable saying it to them. Because, you see, they know that I'm a pastor. And I've known them now for 15 years. But one of the things I've been reflecting on for my own walk as a Christian, not as the pastor, but as, as, a, as Bob the Christian. One of the things that I've been reflecting on is, Lord, how is it that I've known this person for 15 years and I could not tell you what they truly believe? Because I've never asked. And we've skirted around it. We've talked about God and we've talked about church and we've talked about doing good things. But there's never been the actual sit down, look in the eye and say, you know what? I've known you for 15 years. I could not be, couldn't even begin to say what you truly believe. Could you help me to know what you believe? And believe, no, no, no threat. I, I'm not going to preach at you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pray for you. I just, just know that I, I want to know what you real, really believe. What is it that's in you? What do you see when you talk about God or, or church or Jesus for that matter? Whatever. What do you, and just be quiet then and sit there and listen. And don't try to argue with them and don't try to correct. Because I mean, I was literally, uh, 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 two or three weeks ago, I was talking with somebody who was talking about their faith. And I was so excited that I was getting an opportunity to talk with somebody about their faith. And they were telling me all of this heretical stuff. All these things that are not correct scripturally. And I was like, mm, keep your mouth shut, Bobby. Just let them talk. Why? Because that was not the time for correction. I was trying to get them to open up to be comfortable sharing their faith with me. Because once I have gained the right to speak into their life by listening to them, then I can say, hey, the other day you and I were talking and you said something about blah, blah, blah. And I've never heard that before. Can you help me understand where you came to learn that? I mean, how, did you, how did you come to that conclusion? And now I'm engaging them in conversations that are non-threatening. I'm not trying to proselyte them. I'm not trying to win them over to my faith. I'm just engaging them in a spiritual conversation. And they, they are given an opportunity with dignity to express their true belief. And then I can go, hmm, I never heard that before. And leave it. Now, if the Holy Spirit of God tells you to engage further, do so. But don't feel like you have to correct every single statement while they're trying to tell you their faith story. Because why would you ask a non-Christian to have good theology? I mean, if they've never had training as a Christian, how can you expect them to spout correct, correct theology? And, and we have such a culture that is Christian but not Christian that there's so much stuff out there that's just not real. But it is what it is. Let me throw one out at you. I'm going to be in so much trouble. Did you know that the only thing in the Bible that talks about a rainbow has nothing to do with the bridge that animals cross over? Oh, yeah. Okay. The Bible talks about a rainbow being a promise from God that he will never destroy the earth through a flood. That's the promise and the covenant from God to human beings. The Bible never talks about eternal life for animals. Now, am I saying that there isn't? No. I'm simply saying the Bible does not address it. Oh, don't bring that up in this community. Okay? So if someone wants to talk to you about the fact that they want to have faith because they want to see all their pets in the future, smile. Because you have no basis to say that they're wrong. Because the Bible does not address it. Okay? Okay? 
The Bible does not give us absolutely every answer to absolutely every question. The Bible is, a, is there for salvation and salvation questions. And you can get every answer you need about salvation out of the Bible. But you're not going to get every single thing about the eternal out of the Bible. You're not. Because God did not give absolutely every detail about heaven and eternal life in the Bible. There are certain things that are just mystery. And we just have to accept it by faith. So don't feel like you have to correct absolutely every statement when you're listening to somebody. Just have a conversation with them. Now, if they're telling you, I read it in Matthew, I saw it in Matthew, then say, well, let's, let's go there and see where, see what you're talking about. And again, not being threatening, not being challenging, just saying, wow, I've read Matthew before. I don't ever remember seeing that. Can you help me find it? Yeah, sure, I'll show you. And then they show you and you go, oh, wow. You know, I've always heard it was this. I've never heard your perspective before, but that's pretty interesting. I can see where you got that. But this is what I've always been told about that passage. Now you have been able to bring truth to them, and you've opened up the blinders a little bit, and they've been able to see and hear the light in a non-threatening way, and you've just added to their spiritual repertoire. At some point, God is going to go, dink, and the light's going to go on, and the darkness will finally be dispelled. But you never get the opportunity to have those conversations if you're always trying to correct the fact that God doesn't... That's not what it says in the Bible. Ah, you've got that wrong. That's not what we were taught. Just let that go. Just let it go. Just trust. Now, but when you're asked, be ready. Like I said, I, I stumble. I mean, for heaven's sakes, I'm a pastor. If anybody should be able to present the gospel to someone who's never heard the name Jesus, I should. But I had absolutely no, no hook. There was no, nothing. I was like, it was like putting, trying to put a hook into a solid piece of granite. It was just slick and smooth and it wouldn't, wouldn't catch. None of it. Because there was absolutely no common ground that we could find. But that doesn't mean that I was unsuccessful. It just means that I said what I could, did the best that a job, best job that I could, and I will continue to pray for this person as God brings her to mind. So, anyway, that's what I felt God wanted me to share with you this morning. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. Be aware of the fact that the people you're trying to minister to are blind to the truth that you already hold dear. And try to find some way to find some common ground. So that you can have an intelligent conversation where both sides get to be heard. Because you don't get the right to speak into somebody's life unless you're willing to listen. It's just the way it is. Otherwise, all you are is a noise on the street corner with the bullhorn. And you've been there. You walk past that garbage. You don't want to hear that. And the same way with your friends. And the same way with your community. So, anyway, let's pray. Jesus, we give you praise this morning. I thank you, Father, for this insight. I, I'm still, it's frustrating to me that I was not able to just clearly present the gospel to this woman. But God, the name Jesus was pronounced. We, we talked about the fact that we believe in him as God. We talk about the fact that I'm a Christian. So I got the word Christian in there. I got the name Jesus in there. 
and I got God in there. And so, Father, I just pray that those things would start to just break up that soil a little bit and, and, and make it ready for her to have a real, true, vital faith that's genuine and real. And Father, I pray for more opportunities like that. For me and for this congregation, help us, Father, to be seed sowers. Help us, Father, to go out there and intentionally engage in conversation, Lord. Let us not be frightened or afraid, because God, you have called this congregation to be 150 fully devoted followers of Christ, and the only way it's going to happen is if new Christians start coming to this church. And so, Father, we ask you, take the blinders off, remove the veils, turn on the light, Bring people into the light so that they're no longer stuck in the darkness and no longer under the God of this world, but they are indeed under, under your authority and under your presence and under your guidance. And help us, Father, to just be faithful to, to harvest the souls as it's time, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.